We will be in Daniel chapter 2 today. You have probably heard it said before that knowledge is power. And if knowledge is power, then knowledge of the future, I think you could say, would be a superpower. I mean, imagine how much money you could make if you knew what the stock market was going to do, you know, this week or the week next week. Imagine, and I don't endorse betting or gambling, okay, but imagine if you knew the outcomes of all of the NFL games today, how you could clean up, you know, betting on those games. Knowledge of the future. How powerful would you be if you had that? I mean, imagine the meteorologist that knew always exactly what was going to happen with the weather. Put all of the other meteorologists out of business, right? Because that guy is always right. That girl is always right. I mean, what a powerful thing it would be to have knowledge of the future. And over the centuries, you guys have probably seen some of this before, there have been some wildly inaccurate predictions about the future. Bob Metcalf in the 90s predicting the collapse and end of the internet or, you know, different things, different ideas. Uh, or uh, a week ago, right, Brian, when everybody, sports radio, ESPN, everybody, the Cowboys don't have a chance against the Eagles. And we watch the game. We're like, whoa, they won. What do you know? Knowledge of the future is such a rare thing. I like this one from a guy. 1893, Junius Brown wrote an article about the future of law. Listen to what he said. He said, law will be simplified over the next century. Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have been vastly curtailed. Nice. Yeah. People go to great lengths to get information about what is to come. King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament was like so many ancient leaders. He was surrounded by wise men by philosophers and sages and soothsayers and astrologists to give him some insight about the future. In Daniel chapter 2, this head of state, Nebuchadnezzar, had a reoccurring dream that was deeply troubling to him because he felt in his heart like this dream is important. This dream is telling me what is to come. I just can't figure out what it's saying. And so he demanded answers. This morning, we're going to find out from this story more about how to stand up for God in your workplace, how to stand up for God in your culture, and how not only to bring honor to God, but how to be a blessing to those you work with. To be a blessing with those who God puts in your life. One note this morning, it's interesting how Daniel points forward to Jesus. We're going to see that in Daniel chapter 2. And it's interesting also in Matthew 24 how Jesus points back to Daniel. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15 that Daniel was a prophet. So Jesus himself recognized this gift that God had given to Daniel. Now God, when he revealed something to his prophets, it wasn't just a prediction. It wasn't just, this is probably going to happen. God knows the future just like he knows the past. When God tells you something is going to happen, 
It's going to happen. He is omniscient, omnowing. God lives in a sort of eternal present. He has access to information in the future just like he does in this moment, just like he does in the past. He has perfect knowledge of all things. Isaiah 46 says this. Remember, God says, the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I come to pass for I do whatever I wish. Now Nebuchadnezzar was dying to know what this dream meant. He believed it held the key to the future. And he needed to unlock this dream. And so Daniel and his friends were a member of this large group of people called the wise men. And uh, God is, they had, you know, Daniel and his friends, they had graduated from the University of Babylon. They had studied philosophy and literature and science and language. And now they are among this number of people, these, these wise men. And so the king called in some of the veteran wise men. Daniel wasn't among them at this point. Calls in some of his veteran wise men and says, I need you to interpret this dream, but there's a catch. So I can know that your interpretation is true, first, I need for you to tell me what the dream is. That's quite a catch. You see, very shrewd guy. He knows these are, these are smart people. Um, if I tell them what the dream was, they can kind of riff, they can kind of, uh, with their eloquence and intelligence, kind of think on their feet and come up with a reasonable-sounding interpretation. So I'm not going to let them off the hook. I'm going to tell them, first, you've got to tell me what the dream was. Or, and this is something ancient despots would do sometimes, or you all die. Okay, how's that? Uh, they responded, and I think this is a very reasonable response. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 11, they said, The thing the king asks... Is what? It's, it's too difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not here. It's not with us. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, verse 12. He ordered that all of the wise men in Babylon should be put to the sword. Arioch, captain of the king's guard, went gathering the wise men. When he got to Daniel's house, he had a sword in one hand. He had the order for Daniel's execution in the other hand. It looked like the end for Daniel. Daniel asked for time. He requested that an audience would be marked with the king so that he could go in and provide the interpretation of the king's dream. Arioch agreed the execution order would be stayed for now. The first thing that Daniel did is he went and knocked on the door of his friend's house, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and he said, Guys, huddle up with me. We need to pray. We need to take this to the Father in prayer and ask that He would give me the dream and the meaning of the dream. He knew that if God would answer this prayer, then not only would their lives be spared, but all of these other, their co-workers, 
okay, the other wise men of Babylon, their lives would be spared and God would be glorified. And so, verse 19, they prayed. Then, 19 to 23, the mystery was revealed. Revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness And the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might. And have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Interesting, right? Daniel's last resort is not prayer. It is his first resort response to this situation. And that gives us an example, I think, of who we are to be as a people of faith. We go to God in prayer, not when, uh uh-oh, all my other options have run out. I guess it's time to pray. We go to God in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end of everything that we face. So he prayed. And immediately when he saw the answer to that prayer, what does he do? Even before he runs off, to Babel, to, to the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts worshiping. He starts praising God. He is intentional not only about going to God in prayer, but going back to God with praise and worship and thanksgiving when he gets the answer to his prayer. Shouldn't we do the same thing? Right? I mean, how many times do we hear God heal this person, heal that person, bless this surgery that's going to happen next week, give this other person a job, they need a job. How many times do we hear, ask, 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 and how often do we hear people come back and say, God, you healed her, you healed him, you blessed the surgery, you gave her this job. How many times... We need to be as, as intentional about returning thanks to God and calling out those answers to prayer as we are bringing our needs to Him. I mean, He's not Santa Claus. We don't sit on His lap and just bring Him our list of requests. This is a relationship of faith where we not only ask, but we praise and we give thanks. Over a week ago, one of you, Liz Barr, came to me and said, Gordon, I've got this job opportunity. Would you be a reference for me? Uh, I really, I've got a job. I'm thankful for my job, but this would be much better. It would pay more, and it, it's a step up in, term of, in terms of management. And I said, sure, put me down. Well, she texted me yesterday and said, I start Tuesday at 1030. Praise God. Praise God for that answered prayer. I love to see how God answers our prayers. Well, very quickly, Arioch, the captain of the guard, ushers Daniel into the king's presence. He realizes time is of the essence. The sword is about to fall on these wise men. And he comes to the king and he says, King, I found this guy who's one of the exiles from Judah. Daniel is his name. He has the interpretation of your dream. The king looked at Daniel and said, is this true? Can you tell me about my dream and what it means? 
And Daniel gives a very interesting answer in verse 27. He begins with, no. (laughs) No person can tell you what your dream means. There is no enchanter. There is no magician. There is no wise man who can tell you what your dream means. This knowledge belongs to the God of heaven. And he's given me that answer. So he begins to describe the dream. He says, here is what has been keeping you up at night. Here is what's been haunting your sleep. You had a dream of a great and terrifying statue It made you tremble in your dreams. The head of this statue of of a person, the head was of, of shining fine gold. The arms and upper chest were of silver. The abdomen and thighs were of bronze. The rest of the legs were of iron. And then that iron, as it got down to the feet, became an iron mixed with a weaker substance, with clay. And you trembled at the sight of this statue. And as you were trembling, you noticed something. A a rock that no human hand had carved out of a mountain. This, This rock, this stone, began to roll towards this great and magnificent statue. It was rolling. It was gathering steam. And it collided with the statue and totally destroyed it, smashing it to pieces, smashing it to dust. And then the wind carried off the dust that remained of this statue. In the end, there was nothing left except this stone. And then this stone began to to grow and grow. And this stone became a, a mountain filling up the horizon, covering the surface of the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar was speechless. His jaw dropped. This was a perfect blow-by-blow description of every detail of that dream that had been keeping him up at night. Now Daniel presses on. He says, that's your dream. Now let me tell you what your dream means. God revealed this to me. Now this is a scary situation for Daniel. Uh, Danger has not passed because now he's about to give an interpretation of the dream that is not necessarily one that is going to be very pleasing to King Nebuchadnezzar, but he pushes on anyway. The statue represents kings that are and are to come. The first, the head of gold, brilliant, shining, fine gold, that is you, King Nebuchadnezzar. The next, the silver, the arms and the chest, that is another kingdom that will come after you. And by the way, we know this, there was a change of management after Nebuchadnezzar. He was the last of the Babylonian kings. The next would be Cyrus the Great. The first king of the Archimedean Empire, the the Persian Empire. 
And so these Persian kings will rule. We know that historically. And then there's a bronze empire, the abdomen and the upper thighs. This we know historically would be the Greek empire. Alexander the Great conquered the Persian empire, um, died when he was only 32 years old, an amazing military leader, left his commanders, his generals, in, in, in charge of different parts Uh, provinces of the old Persian Babylonian empire. And then after Alexander came this next kingdom, the Iron Empire, Rome. And this Iron Empire will turn into, over time, two empires, iron mixed with clay. And we know that in A.D. 284, the Roman Empire became divided. East and West, Constantinople and Rome. Chapter 2, verse 41, this empire, it shall be a divided kingdom. Daniel has just given the king of Babylon a glimpse, not not a glimpse, a a blow-by-blow. Here is what the next four to five hundred years of regional geopolitical history is going to look like. Now, it is one thing to make a guess, right? To say, you know, I think today Atlanta Falcons 14, Dallas Cowboys 24. You know, it's one thing, and you get that right, and you're like, wow, great. But it is another thing to say, now let me tell you about the next game that's going to happen, and the next game, and the next game. That's called a compound prediction or a compound prophecy and it gets more and more exponentially difficult right to call this one and call the next one and call the next one well Daniel by the power of God has done just that Babylon Persia Greece Rome and then something else in the age of those kings he says in chapter 2 meaning the Roman kings this stone will become rolling and it will become a, and it will destroy the statue and it will become well let's go to his interpretation verses 44 to 45 in those days the days of the kings kings of rome the god of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end it shall stand forever that's quite a prediction Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. It's interpretation true. Over and over in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed as ushering in the kingdom of heaven. The Roman Empire, when they thought they were putting an end to him, mounted that placard over him on his cross saying, this is the king of the Jews mocking him. Well, who's laughing now? Three days later, this king they executed would would rise from death to life. And his kingdom would begin to spread. And this everlasting kingdom was launched. And today, where's Babylon? Yeah, Where's the Persian Empire? Where's Alexander the Greek's empire? Where's the Roman Empire? 
But the kingdom of heaven grows. King Jesus proclaimed in Matthew chapter 24, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He continued in verse 44, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The great kingdoms of old, the empires relegated to the dust bins of history, the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. Well, history now is divided by the life of this rabbi from Nazareth, B.C. and A.D., 2.4 billion followers the world over over consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Next month, the world will stop down to remember not the birth of, of Augustus Caesar or Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander the Great. The world, all worldwide, will stop down to remember the birth of Jesus, the King of Kings, in the town of Bethlehem. What an amazing prediction. What an amazing compound prophecy. And how indisputably true it is proven to be. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, uh, commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God. God of gods, Lord of kings, revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. The king gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. And so at the end of this story, his co-workers, his, his office mates, the wise men of Babylon, they owed their lives to Daniel. The king of Babylon at the end of this story is face down on the ground worshiping this strange unknown God who has revealed the meaning of his dream to him. At the end of this story, Daniel and his friends, they have been given promotions, elevated to places of honor there in the province around the capital city. Look, when your world seems foreign, when it seems strange, when you feel like your office or your school or your neighborhood or your nation is becoming like a Babylon to you, as we talked about last week, you are exactly where you are supposed to be just like Daniel was. God has placed you in that, in that location to bring glory to His name and to bless the people around you. Daniel found out that God wasn't just a God of Judea, of the friendly confines of Jerusalem. God wasn't just a God of the Jewish people. He was in this foreign land in front of a pagan king in what looked like a godless place. And God was at work right there. Henry Blackaby put it this way. He said, watch to see where God is working 
and join him in his work. That's on your outline this morning. Watch to see where God is working and then jump in and say, God, I want to be part of this. That's what we do as his people. So that's the question out of this test. Will you do that? Will you stand up for God in Babylon? Will you pay attention to what he's doing around you at your workplace, at your school, in your neighborhood? And will you join in that work? And when Daniel saw an opportunity to join in, he said, here I am. And he chose to be an agent of grace in Babylon. An agent of saving grace. We'll talk about what that means. An agent agent of common grace. We'll talk about what that means. But we choose to offer grace to the world around us. Let's start with saving grace. This means that we steer people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about beating people over the head with a Bible, about pulling out a bullhorn, you know, in your cubicle at work. We're talking about strategically looking to steer conversations and relationships to the saving power of the gospel of Christ. And it's interesting, isn't it, in this story? Daniel would not have understood the gospel. I mean, this is centuries before Jesus comes along. He hadn't even heard the name of Jesus Christ. But he preached the gospel even so. By pointing forward to the everlasting kingdom of Jesus. By faithfully seizing the opportunity to speak the words that God had put on his lips. Now we, unlike Daniel, we are blessed to have the gospel. We understand the good news. We know that the the Son of God was born into this world, lived a perfect life, died at Calvary to wash away our sins, was raised on the third day to give us a hope of eternal life and to give us a purpose for our life here and now. On the cross, God's love was revealed. At the empty tomb, God's power was revealed. And so we share this saving grace. We also share common grace. What does this mean? It's so simple. I help. I encourage. I build. I create. Wherever I find myself, workplace, school, neighborhood, home, Daniel not only spoke the words of God, he was also serving his co-workers. He was serving his community. Lives were saved because of his courage. Lives were saved because of what he did. And we're not just talking about, quote-unquote, godly lives. We're not just talking about people being served and blessed who, quote-unquote, deserved it. These are pagan magicians, astrologers, masters of the occult, and he helped protect them and bless them regardless of their differences. Amen? He served people who saw the world very differently than he saw the world. But he chose to bless them in the name of the Lord and protect them in the name of the Lord and serve them. And every time you help build the team at work, every time you encourage a fellow student at high school, every time you offer someone a ride who needs a ride, every time you provide food to a hungry family... or shelter to a homeless person, 
or every time you pray over a friend who is struggling, you are offering them common grace. Chuck Colson and Nancy Percy wrote about saving grace and common grace in a wonderful book called Now, uh, How Now Shall We Live. This is what they say. God cares not only about redeeming souls, but also about restoring His creation. He calls us to be agents, not only of His saving grace, but also of His common grace. Our job is not only to build up the church, but is also to build up a society to the glory of God. As agents of God's common grace, we are called to help sustain and renew His creation, to uphold the created institutions of family and society, to pursue science and scholarship, to create works of arts and beauty, and to heal and help those suffering from the results of the fall. That's what we're called to do. And Daniel shows us that even in a place that looked so foreign, so I think you could say godless, he was called to offer grace, saving grace, common grace. Now, we may not know what's going to happen next week or next month. We may not have perfect knowledge about every detail of the future, but Daniel gives us one thing that we can hang our hats on. He reveals to us that every human kingdom, every human institution will fall away. Every imperfect, selfish, corrupt, greedy human construct will collapse. And in the end, the kingdom of Jesus will be standing. Everything else will be swept away, relegated to the dustbins of history. And those who accept Jesus as King, as Lord, as Savior will experience His grace and redemption, eternal life with Him, and right here, right now, a reason to live. This morning, it may be your turn to give your life to Jesus, to declare Him to be the Son of God. And you can do that confessing His name and being baptized into His name. Maybe you need prayers. You may be like Nebuchadnezzar. Something is keeping you up at night. And you just need to gather with some of your friends. As Daniel called together his group of friends, call together a group around you as we sing here in a moment and say, would you pray about this? Or maybe like Daniel, you want to return thanks to God because of a blessing you have received. You want to bless him? Do that right now. Let's, let's respond to God as we stand together and worship.